We'll start off in 1 John chapter 5 this evening. We left off talking about underestimating Jesus and underestimating what he has done for us. And we said we can't conceive of anything that will cripple faith and put the believer in bondage more quickly and surely than underestimating what Jesus is and what we are in him. And along with that, because we know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is the Word and the Word is Jesus. So when we underestimate Jesus, we underestimate the Word. When we underestimate the Word, we underestimate Jesus. And, uh, you know, a lot of people say, well, I believe the, I believe the Bible. But there's a, there's a difference between uh, mental assent and faith. Uh, what happens is then when we underestimate the Word of God, when we underestimate Jesus, when we pray, we do not approach God with a quiet assurance that we would have if some banker had given us his or her word in regard to our financial standing at the bank. I mentioned that last Wednesday, and then <laughs> I think it was the next day I got a letter of commitment from a bank, and I thought, man, this is embarrassing because... You know, if, if the banker just says verbally, uh, you know, we'll go to X or we'll do this or that, well, you go to shopping, but when they send a letter, it's a commitment. And, and I've been meditating on that all week that this is our letter of commitment from Almighty God. But why is it we don't take it as literal as we do something from a banker? This is an unconscious underestimation of the word, and it is an unconscious underestimation of the integrity of the Lord himself, who is the author of the word. You, you have no idea, now that I have more days behind me than I do ahead of me, how often I'm standing here, especially on Wednesday night. I don't know what it is about Wednesday night, and, and I, I wish I could send these messages back in time to myself because when you start out you just don't have you, you know the Bible you believe the Bible but you don't have the same level of understanding that uh, decades give you see and this all leads to weakness to doubt and to fear and it makes for a vacillating type of faith we become what James calls a double-minded man unstable in all of his ways and you've heard me say this in recent days that we can have faith for we can have faith in one area but not another area. You know, I knew a man and he, he had faith for money like nobody I ever met, but he didn't have any faith at all for healing. And then that reverberated out to his family. So we have to discipline ourselves. And then let me say this too. If, if, you're, if you're walking in financial covenant with God, there's a level of protection that you enjoy and we kind of just start taking things for granted because we are protected. And, uh, but we open doors, we'll get to that here in a few minutes, and the devil may slip in. And so if we let down our guard in, in one area or the other, money or body, or family, whatever it is, that we become a target in that area. Am I helping anybody? 
And so let's say you're blessed financially. Well, you can't let, you can't let down your guard on the healing scriptures. Or let's say you're blessed in your body. You can't let down your guard on what the Bible has to say about success or about prosperity. So, you know, I've, I've been convicted all day long. I've been mulling this message over all day long. And I think, unfortunately, I think part of the solution is meditation. You know, from James 1.8, that, that Father God uh, encouraged Joshua to meditate on the word day and night and to not let the word depart from his mouth. You see, because when we realize what he has done for us in the substitution on the cross and the recreation, well, it makes us masters and not victims. So we need to meditate on the fact that we are partakers of the divine nature. 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So if we would meditate on something like this and say this over and over, follow after me and say this out loud. I'm a partaker of God's very nature. I have his faith in me. This makes me a child of faith. I have been begotten of the living word through the Holy Spirit. The real me was recreated in Christ. I have the very nature of the Father, and the Father is love, so I have in me the love nature of the Father. And I'm not sure what it is about meditation, but some truths cannot get into us through a cursory reading of the Word. And uh, we have to ponder it. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when Kenneth Hagin, I think he was 17 years old, I'm talking about the one that went to be with the Lord in 2003, he was laying on his deathbed. I think it was seven months, nine months. When he was born, he only weighed a couple of pounds. He was born with a heart defect. And uh, then later came up with this incurable blood disease. So he's laying there, he's a teenager, and he's laying there on a bed of affliction for months on end. And it's just horrific to listen to one of the messages where he tells a story because <laughs> these preachers would come by. And it's just horrible what comes out of preachers' mouths. You know, so sometimes it's the will of God to heal. Sometimes it's not because you've been on this bed all these months. Apparently it's not God's will to heal you. Where does that leave you? And uh, so his mother and his grandmother would invite these various ministers and he was telling them, stop, stop, I can't take it. And, uh, but his grandmother, I think it was, gave him a Bible and he starts reading the Bible and he gets to Mark 11 and he was arrested by verses 22 to 24. And he knew the answer was there, but he didn't know how it was there. And he laid there for weeks on end, but he meditated. See, what do you have to do when you're bedfast? Can't go play baseball, can't go to school, can't go outside. And he laid there and he meditated on those verses. In a different message, he tells a story that years later, those same symptoms started coming back on him. And he went to the Holy Spirit. I think it was two Wednesdays ago we talked about John 16 and 
how we underestimate the Holy Spirit. And so years later, those same symptoms came back on him, and he was already out preaching. He was a minister, but he went to the Holy Spirit, and he said, now, I know the Bible can't fail, and I know you can't fail, so where am I missing it? And uh, the Lord took him back to uh, what he was saying, because people come up and they sympathize with us. And what do, we, what do we say when we open our mouths and respond to sympathy? And I wish you could see this generation through my eyes because they're utterly defeated. Because the whole, the whole so-called culture, culture out here is weepy, misty, uh, complaining, commiserating, Empathy, sympathy, I mean, it's, it's, and of course, it's all defeated. It's amazing to me. The whole idea of, you know, giving a kid a, a swift kick in the backside, that's metaphorical. You know, that's all gone. Everything is all sympathy. But we don't need sympathy. We need the answer. Right? Amen. I do. I want to know where I'm missing it. I, I, I don't want to feel sorry for you while you feel sorry for me. See, where's the victory in you feeling sorry for me while I feel sorry for you? Where's the victory in that? And that's what they're doing out here. And, and the reason this is on my mind, Sue and I talked about this, I think it was this morning, the reason it's on my mind is We saw a glimpse of it in that town in Kentucky. Was it Asbury, Kentucky? When God moves, it is going to get the attention of this generation. And I don't see anything else getting the attention of this generation. So we need God to move. But God responds to us. God responds. Somebody might say, well, you know, God answers prayer. Well, is that right? Well, how many prayers is he answering lately? People are everywhere praying. I don't want to name denominational names, but they're praying. Amen. A lot of people are, where, where are the answers? I mean, I get answers, but I, I want more. But I'm saying, outside of our bubble, when was the last time you ever heard anybody tell you about going to God, getting an, an answer to a prayer? When I say our bubble, I'm talking about our tribe. Because we have friends, you know, that don't live here, but they're faith people, they're faith-oriented people. I remember one of our best friends called us, it was just a, not that many weeks ago that uh, Somebody had sent them the money to pay off their house, so wiped out their mortgage. But they were faith people. But I'm saying, you, you don't go to Tom Thumb or somewhere and hear people talking about, you know, the Lord answered my prayer. But when, when, if, we can, if we can meditate on the word and discover who we are and come to that place, then I think we would get the world's attention. And I don't know about you, but I sure don't want to be double-minded. So this confession, say it again, I'm a partaker of God's very nature. I have his faith 
in me. This makes me a child of faith. I have been begotten of the living word through the Holy Spirit. The real me was recreated in Christ. I have the very nature of the Father, and the nature of the Father is love. So I have the love nature of the Father in me. So, see, the Holy Spirit is the one who takes of the nature of the Father and builds it into us, but he builds it into us through the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit who builds the beauty of Christ into our conduct. The Holy Spirit wants to take possession of our lives and make us more like Jesus and make us a greater witness to this generation. So we've been talking about an underestimation of Jesus and an underestimation of the Word of God, but there's also an underestimation of the Holy Spirit, and it keeps us in a state of flux. It keeps us in a state of perpetual spiritual uncertainty. And I don't mean to be hard on ministers, but this whole thing of telling people, well, sometimes it's God's will to heal, sometimes it's not. That's not in the Bible. It's not, I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. I don't know of anywhere in the gospel. I don't know of anywhere in the gospels where Jesus denied anyone who came in faith. We just dealt with a miracle a few weeks ago where somebody came to him and he didn't even know they were there and, and they just pulled the power of God right out of him because of their faith. It's about the faith. And that's convicting. Because what's the name on the building? Faith. faith. But have we really meditated on that and come to a place where we can exercise it the way we ought to exercise it? See, when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and the mighty one at the right hand of the Father who ever lives to make intercession for us, he is our great attorney who looks after every legal, legal need of ours in the throne room of God. Well, hopefully we would no longer be dominated by fear and doubt. Fear is a horrible thing. I, I thought I understood the power of fear, but I had no idea the power of fear until we got to 2020. I mean, I was, I was amazed. I couldn't believe the power of fear. I was shocked at the power of fear. And how they used fear to manipulate people. And that's what the devil does. He uses fear to manipulate people. And, and if you think about the way the devil operates, he uses fear to get us to change our confession. And you might say, well, pastor, I'm past that. Well, I don't know that while we're in these houses of clay that we ever really get past that because when... When he comes along with whatever he's got going, his symptoms or the threat of legal action or the threat of a financial loss, it's tempting to let negativity come out of the mouth. And, you know, it's really more tempting maybe at home than it is at Faith Christian Center because at home, you know, you're talking to your loving husband, you're talking to your loving wife, well, they understand. But, you know, there's no spousal exemption or... or uh, you know, we don't get a free pass because we're speaking words of negativity to our spouse. They're still coming out of our mouth. I think we have underestimated our authority. I think we have underestimated our authority as believers, I, but I think we've even underestimated our authority as human beings on this planet because there's a vestige of Adam's authority that's left in us even in the natural. 
But on top of that, we have the authority of the name of Jesus. So we need to come to know the reality of the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives. And the only way we're going to know that is through the writings of the Apostle Paul. So we need to go back and reread Romans. I know it's tough sledding. And 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and especially Ephesians and especially the first three chapters. I think that there's a fear, actually, of seeing what we are in Christ and acting as though we knew what we are. And that's kept us in bondage and robbed us of the reality of his finished work. Now, Sue mentioned this to me this morning. So let's go to Acts chapter 9. The guys aren't prepared for this, but Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated as Dorcas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upper, upstairs room in Lydda, which was near Joppa. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to come to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him. Now, you can picture this. Because she was a widow, and she was always doing good. And all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. So we can see that. We can picture that in our mind's eye. Peter sent them all out of the room. Now, where did he learn to do that? Talk to me. Where did he learn to do that? And you can see it in your mind's eye, can't you? They're, they're all crying, and they're showing Peter her craft work. So what kind of atmosphere must it, have, must it have been? Sympathy, empathy, mourning. Peter sent them all out. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Where did he learn that? She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to, the, to them alive. All right. Now, I'm not saying that we need to go around trying that, but look at the result. Verse 42, this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. The point is not that we go out here and, and try and raise somebody from the dead. Look, if you... If you can't believe in $500, there's no point in trying to do that. And, and rather than start at that level, you got to start at another level. But the point is that it arrested the population. And many came to Christ. And the reason I read that is that's not what we see in 2023. And you might say, well, that was Peter. Well, keep reading it was just four chapters later in Antioch, he got rebuked by the Apostle Paul. Four chapters, maybe five, five chapters later. So in other words, because the devil always comes along with this, doesn't he? Well, you can't get healed because of this and this and this and this and this fault. Or does the devil just do me that way? If you were perfect then maybe you could receive something from the Lord. But it's not by perfection. It's by faith. 
And I've, I've noticed this next month. I know it's hard to believe, but next month I will have been preaching the gospel 50 years. I've noticed this. If I don't lay hands on somebody, nobody gets healed. If I don't venture out, you know, if we all came in here Sunday morning and we had great music and received an offering, nobody gets saved. Why? You have to, you have to give an opportunity for somebody to get saved. Can you see that? Amen. Or you have to pray the prayer of faith or you got to lay hands on somebody or you've got to anoint somebody with oil. Or when, when uh, you know, you've got to go visit the sick. And we have results. We do. But I want more. I want more results consistently. Can you see that? Is anybody here of a like mind to that? Because this world is not just headed to hell. They're headed to hell on an express train. And there's no... It's a non-stop. And so the only way the church is going to get their attention, now I know there's a lot of different strategies out there. I do. I'm a smart guy. I, I do. You know, uh, we went and looked at a building for the sake of the architecture. And, uh, you know, we were hearing all of their strategies. I get it. You know, different strategies to reach the lost, but since I was born again in a full gospel church in 1960, you know, I'm just hardwired. I want to see God move. Amen. You understand? I don't want to lure him in here with uh, Wi-Fi. I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want the public on our Wi-Fi. That was one of the discussions we had back in 2006 and 7 on our cafe. Do we want to publicize that? Do we want to try and use that to get people in the building and on the property? And, you know, it didn't take us too long to see these beautiful little children walking up and down the halls and say to ourselves, uh, no. So for church people, parents, it's there. But we're not, in other words, there are strategies, and I understand it, I'm a smart guy, but... We just need to see God move. Amen. We, don't, we don't need to lure him with coffee Amen. or free Wi-Fi. We need to see God move. Amen. And every great man I knew believed it would happen, but there's no Bible on it. I don't know of any. Oral Roberts believed there'd be a, a great revival before the end. Lester Summerall believed there'd be a great revival before the end. David Wilkerson believed there'd be a great revival before the end. They all did. So even though I can't go to a chapter in the Bible and say, well, there it is right before the end. Well, these great men believe that. So why can't I believe that? Amen. Amen. And besides, I think it'd be great to pray for revival in any generation. Right? We need a mighty move of God to sweep this nation. Amen. Say it out loud. We need, we need a mighty move of God, mighty move of God 
to sweep this nation. Amen. Only thing is, you have to get ready for the criticism because even in that thing that went on in Kentucky, as short as it was, you know, Christian people all over social media saying, well, that can't happen, that's not possible, and that can't happen. The criticism, a lot of the criticism wasn't for the, from the devil's crowd, it was from church people. So you have to brace yourself. You have to send them all out of the room. You got you to you learn how to ignore, amen, when God's moving. So how slow have we been to act upon, to, how slow have we been to understand who we are and then take action upon that knowledge? Now in my own life, you may wonder why I do what I do sometimes and why I don't do what I do sometimes. I do my best to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I've never pulled anybody out of a wheelchair without the Holy Spirit showing me to do that. There was a service here recently, and the anointing was strong, and the anointing was powerful. And I spoke to a man in a wheelchair, but I didn't try and get him up. There's no point trying to get him up when they don't want to get up. So we can't manufacture miracles. How many of you have ever been in a service where they were trying to make something happen? Amen. Well, that's, that's not God. If, I, if I'm trying to make it happen, then it's not happening. I'm trying to make it happen. Now, I'm talking about, I'm talking about evidence. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And notice it says, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So we're not talking about something theological. We're not talking about a, something philosophical. This is the Father's description of what we are in His Son. It says, in Him we have redemption through His blood. From whom and from what have we been redeemed? Well, Satan is the God of darkness. And I think we all understand Satan's in charge. The Apostle Paul called Satan the God of this world, little G-O-D. Because it's sure not God in charge in Washington. Amen. It's sure not God in charge at the United Nations. Amen. And I'll tell you something else. It's sure not God in charge down in the local school boards. Amen. So, but we find out that we've been delivered out of Satan's dominion, out of the realm and the authority of darkness. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, for he has rescued us. What tense is that? He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He's rescued us out of that. But see, we've got to act on that. We've got to take action on that. Months ago, I was praying and I said, Lord, I said, how long can your people survive being baptized in all this filth? And his answer was immediate. You know, we, didn't we deal with the Holy Spirit here within the last fortnight that... Uh, you know, I think that was, was that a, a week ago here on a Wednesday night or two weeks ago? He's, Jesus described him as the wind. He comes, you don't know where he's coming from. He goes, you don't know where he's going. He speaks, but you can't count on it. 
But when I said, when those words came out of my mouth, I was out doing my morning prayer and I said, Lord, I just don't see how long your people can make it here baptized in all this filth. And the answer was immediate. Now, he doesn't often do that, but sometimes he does. He said, son, he said, none of my people are baptized in filth unless they choose to be so. Amen. That was a wake-up call. Because, see, in other words, all of this stuff's going on out there, but what about our homes and the minds of our precious little ones and what's going on with our teenagers? The only way they're baptized in filth is if we allow it. Yes. And it's not like it was when I was a teenager. Um, we heard about kids at school, smoking Mary Jane, they called it, but I, I never came across that. And, well, I did at a wrestling party, uh, the wrestling team party. But, uh, and then porn. Porn was just playboys or hustlers behind the uh, solid thing at the convenience store. You couldn't even see the cover back then, early 70s. But now it's everywhere. It's on every electronic device. And you think you're, you're, you think you're just searching something innocently. Like, for example, you, you hear there could be a storm in Dallas or there could be hail in Dallas or there could be a tornado in Dallas. And you just type in Dallas and hit go and all this porn is there. You didn't search porn. You, you searched Dallas. Is that a synonym for porn? Everything is a synonym for porn. Amen. So my point is, precious youngsters, if they have access to an, any electronic device, they have access to porn. It's just amazing to me. How can children in a Christian home learn filthy stuff? But it happens. It's amazing to me. Well, because people are working takes two incomes a lot of times. They're busy and they're not monitoring what their kids are doing. They don't even have parental controls on cable. And we, we bring this up from time to time. Pastor, how come you're talking about this? Well, because we're tired of the wreckage. Amen. We see the wreckage. And it's not like cancer coming out of nowhere it is entirely predictable and foreseeable that if you don't monitor the electronics, see what you're doing is you're giving the devil an entree. It'd be like Antifa marching down the, in front of your house and you throwing your door open and say, come on in. I mean, that's what people are doing. Because, you know, children... Well, you know, children are innocent. Yeah, but they're also curious. So, and, and children can't monitor children, can they? Children need adult supervision. So, it's just amazing to me. The wreckage, the damage. And it's, everybody seems to be convinced we have a desodomizer in the closet over here. And that their kid can get wrecked and no problemo, just make an appointment with Pastor Sue. She'll pull the desodomizer out of the closet and we'll take care of it. It doesn't work like that. 
When we get direct? Sometimes I get in the car and I say, was that too much? And, and my family always say they need it because we're being pulverized nonstop by all of this wickedness and all of this sin and all of this insanity and all of this stuff going on. And we need a wake-up call, man. We need somebody to put a rubber band around our head and snap it. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Because we can't have that in our homes. We can't let it in. lady told me just about three years back, she sent her precious daughter to college in August, and when the, the daughter got back for Thanksgiving break, she didn't even know her own daughter. We, we, what is the point of putting 17, 18 years in a kid and then losing them in three months? So we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to be careful. You know, we were very strict with our children. You know, no sleepovers. And then with the second one, oh my gosh! And nobody, nobody can beat up a dad like a daughter. My aunt just, you know, just it's like a, it's like a pile driver. It's like you know, pounding and pounding and pounding. And and then the, when the wife joins in, it's like, oh my God! You just want to grab your hair and scream. And so finally I relented. And it was late. Sue got a call from Christina. Uh, boys came over. Can you come get me? But see, what if she had not been of a mind to call mom? Yeah, but that would never happen because my kids only do sleepovers with Christian kids. These were Christian kids. Yeah, but that still couldn't happen because my kids only do sleepovers with church kids. They were church kids. In fact, the father of that girl was an employee of mine. Really, he didn't know what it would be like to deal with Gene Lingerfeld in his 60s because, I mean, man, I mean, I would fire him. I'd fire him so fast, there'd be skid marks going out the front door. But I was younger. But there were no more sleepovers. And I, 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 w I became Superman. You can gnaw on me all you want to, but I ain't backing up. Ain't doing no more sleepovers. You know, you're, you're, and that's why, you know, you, you, you moms and dads, you got to be careful about joining in with the child against the other yeah. marital partner. And, and a lot of times we give in because it's the easy course. How many times in life has the easy way been the correct way? Typically, what way is the correct way? The hard way. What we should have done, what I should have done, it says, sure you can go. Your mom's just going to go with you. <laughs> right? That would have worked. What I should have done was said, because Sue, you're joining in on this. Well, now you get to go and camp out over there. Amen. But I was young. I didn't know as much. 
And we've been delivered out of the dominion of sin. Say it out loud. We have been delivered out of the dominion of sin. Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And yet, isn't it amazing that Paul says, see, this is Romans. This is, this is Romans level theology. And Paul says, you're not under, Paul says, sin shall not be your master because you're under grace. And yet, this generation of preachers takes grace and makes it the reason to sin. Last Thursday, uh, an evangelist told me that he was driving through a certain town and he had the radio on while he was driving through this major metropolitan area and a famous former Word of Faith guy was on the radio and, and he was saying, uh, doesn't matter if you're into uh, adultery, fornication. He listed a whole bunch of sins and he said, he said, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to take any action. All you've got to do is rest in the grace of God. Hmm. Well, what's 1 John 9 there? For, what is 1 John 1, 9 for? Confess your sins. Amen. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's that verse in there for if I don't need to take any action? Amen. And then Paul says... For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. So the exact thing that has so much spiritual power, Paul says that sin shall not be our master is what they've turned on its head to say, just keep right on sinning. It's amazing. We've been delivered not only out of the dominion of sin, but we've also been de delivered out of the dominion of disease. Romans 8, 11 Two chapters later, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Holy Spirit who lives in you. I love the King James. He shall quicken your mortal body. I mean, think about it. The exact same power, the exact same spirit of God. And don't you know that on that Sunday morning, don't you know that Satan knew what was coming. Don't you know, because David had prophesied he will not suffer his Holy One to see corruption. So don't you know every force of Satan and evil was arrayed to keep Jesus in that grave. But it wasn't enough. Paul says that it was the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. And Paul says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he shall quicken. Well, I bring that back. I ought to look that up. We sang a child when I was a boy at Bethesda Missionary Temple. And, and, and he shall quicken your mortal bodies. Well, Pastor, that song's old. Yeah, but it's, it's based on the word. Maybe we ought to learn that and sing that. Amen. And he shall quicken thy mortal body. Hallelujah. T turn to your neighbor. Tell him, he shall quicken, he shall quicken. your mortal body. Turn to your other neighbor. Tell him, he shall quicken your mortal body. There's not a person in the room who does not believe that no matter what we have going on in our bodies, if, if we were touched by the hand of God, it'd all be solved in a moment. Amen. Well, maybe we need to meditate on that. Maybe we ought to go back and meditate on Romans 8, 11.
Not only have we a redemption that is literal and absolute, but we are new creations in Christ and, sin ha and Satan has no dominion over us whatsoever. This is where I wanted to get to and quit. And my dear friends, this is why Paul wrote Ephesians 4.27, neither give place to the devil. And I know it's a hard truth, but Satan has no authority, no dominion over us whatsoever. So any authority and any dominion that he has in our lives, he has because we gave it to him. Just Sunday, we dealt with a miracle when Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. Now, does that mean that all, sin, all sickness and disease is from sin? Well, yes and no. No in the individual sense, but yes in a cosmic sense because there would not be any sickness, there would not be any disease without Adam's sin. But does sin or disease mean that that person sinned a sin to bring that disease upon them or their parents like the Pharisees believed? And the answer is no. You understand? We live in a polluted earth. There's a lot of stuff out here, stuff we're eating, stuff in our bodies. And, uh, and then on top of all of that, A lot of factors at play. Genetics, although I hate to admit that. A lot of factors at play. But it doesn't mean that that person committed a sin that brought that on them. It could be that they lived in an area where uh, stuff had been dug up, dug up and they were exposed to things they shouldn't have been exposed to. How about those poor people in Flint, Michigan with those numbskulls in charge of their city government? Oh my gosh. Or how about those people in East Palestine, Ohio? You understand? In other words, there's, there's stuff in the earth. So it doesn't mean somebody sinned. That's a, that's a judgmental spirit and that in and of itself will keep you from exercising faith. We know this from Mark 11 25 and 26. Yet, everybody say yet. yet. Jesus said, go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. I think I made a joke at nine o'clock, you know. If you have gonorrhea, go and sin no more, lest something worse come upon you. In other words, you think stuff is bad now, you can make it worse. You know, the world has a saying, it can't get any worse. Well, you know what I've discovered in my 67 years? It can. Economically, maritally, in every way. So, we open doors. Yeah, it's terrible, isn't it? We open doors. We open doors by what we say. We open doors by what we look at with our eyes. We open doors by what we listen to. We open doors. Say it out loud. Satan has no right, Satan has no, no, right. Place, no place, no authority, no authority in, my life, in my life or in my body or in my home or in my money that I've not allowed him to have. So I'm going to stop allowing it. And then I think it was part 139 of this series we talked about go to war immediately and instantly. When anything is amiss,
Don't delay, don't procrastinate, and don't hope for the best. Hope's not a plan. Hope is not a strategy. So Satan has no authority, no dominion over us whatsoever. So any authority, any dominion that he has in our lives, he has because we gave it to him. And this is a pearl of great price, a life changer. Jesus is the head and the Lord of this new creation. We've been taught for so long and so persistently about our weaknesses and our lack of ability and our unworthiness that we hardly dare say that we are what he says we are. We're afraid that people will misunderstand us and think that we have become fanatical. I, I, did, I, that, I faced a lot of criticism when I began just saying Philippians 4.19, that God was meeting all of my needs. But Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Say it out loud. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. And I like the way R.W. Schambach used to say it, what God has done in our lives, God now wants to do through our lives. So we, but if we don't get free from sin, how can we preach a message of reconciliation to God to others? If we're still doing what we did when we were lost, how are we going to help anybody else get reconciled to God? So Satan has no dominion over the new creation in Christ. Say it out loud. Satan has no dominion. Over the new creation in Christ. Say it again. Satan has no dominion over the new creation in Christ. And that means he has no dominion over me.